Good morning. So I'm a big NCAA basketball fan. Big, well, let me rephrase that. I'm a big fan of March NCAA basketball. I really like March Madness. Like, I love it. I'm, I don't watch any basketball, college basketball, basically the rest of the year. But when March comes on, it's like I got, I got to see all of it. Any March Madness fans? Okay, seriously, I thought this was Indiana, like the birthplace of basketball. That was a tepid response at best. I'm going to I'm gonna call my friends back home like, no, they actually don't like basketball that much. <laughs> I want to watch as much of it as possible. When opening weekend comes around, there's games nonstop for like 12 hours. And not just games, there's like four games at a time. And it is awesome because I suddenly care about these teams that I really didn't care about all year round. And so I came to the Ridge in January, and when March rolled around, it's like, well, I got to figure out, like, how am I going to see I got Thursday's games, man? How do I see this? Maybe it looks like I'm coming down with something, and I need to go home. I don't know. And then Jerry mentioned to me that the TVs in the offices all get uh, the games. And I was like, really? And that was the moment I knew I had found my people. <laughs> I knew in that moment. Because I used to watch online. Like if I was in my office, I used to have to pull this up, pull up their website and watch the games and, and do it that way. And what you notice is that they're trying to help you out. In the top right corner, they have something called a boss button. If you're watching online, they have the boss button. If you push the boss button, you get this. You get a fake PowerPoint presentation. So if your boss happens to walk by, you can be like, oh, it's just uh, working on that presentation for the Johnson account, sir looking good. Or maybe you could pull up your email on this one. And if you're a student, you're like, oh yeah, geology 306 has just got questions about that. So your professor, don't, don't worry, I'm paying attention. I love the boss button. It's like when your boss is around and you're maybe not doing something you're supposed to be doing, it gives you this way to kind of look like you're doing the right thing. You know, because what I've heard is when the boss isn't around, you know, productivity goes down. I, that's not true at the Ridge. I've heard other people say that. Don't worry, Jerry, I promise. I don't know about James maybe, but no, it's, we were, you know, we're good. But other people have brought that up. And so here's a way, the boss wants a way to make it look like, you know, you're, you're kind of paying attention. Because here's the reality. We live differently when the boss isn't around. We do. We live differently when the boss isn't around. And as we continue our series called The Takeaway on parables in Luke, Jesus tells a parable that deals with this very idea. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, if you brought one, to Luke chapter 19, verse 11, we're going to dig into this parable. But first, I want to give you a little background. So Jesus, in the first part of Luke 19, had been talking about salvation and what that meant and who that was available to. And so he moves on to talking about the, the coming kingdom of God. Now, this was a big deal for the Jewish people because they're living under Roman oppression and they're very much looking forward to no longer be living under Roman oppression. And so the idea of a, of a savior who's come to set up a, a kingdom is incredibly appealing. And at this point in the story of Luke, they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jerusalem holds great significance as the, the seat of authority in Israel. And so there's prophecies around this. I mean, it's a big deal. And so as they, this movement of people who's with Jesus is, is headed this way, they start to think like maybe this is close, like maybe this is going to happen. Because people really wanted kingdom to happen. They really were excited about it. But people's idea of kingdom was very different than Jesus's idea of kingdom. Because the people wanted a kingdom of the sword, a kingdom that would come and 
throw off the yoke of their oppressors and establish them as a, as a power. They wanted a kingdom now, but what God was going to establish was a kingdom forever. Not a kingdom of the sword, but a kingdom of the heart. A forever kingdom. And so what Jesus does here in this parable is he shifts the focus from when the kingdom will happen to how to live while waiting for it. Waiting is one gigantic opportunity for faithfulness. And so this parable starts, I'm going to give you a little background, a little bit more, and then we're going to dive into it. That this crowd is with Jesus, and he tells us right in the beginning, make, this is one of those parables, Jesus makes it super easy. He says, told them a story to, to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So he starts by talking about a nobleman. He was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And that's very common for this period. You, you'd have to send a nobleman would go away to Rome to, to ask Rome to, to back him and support him. And then he'd come back, set up as king. And so this nobleman goes away and says, before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver or 10 minas, which we'll talk about in a second. He says, invest this for me while I'm gone. And he really means make a profit off of this, right? His people, though, the nobleman's people sent a delegation after him because they didn't want him to be king. And then we move on to verse 15. It says, after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, and so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. And I imagine that servant felt really good about his pitch before he heard the first servant's. He's like, five times, that's pretty, ah, oh, 10, seriously, seriously. Also, the guy with a 10, how do I get in on that? The king says, well done, you will be governor over five cities. There's two major things we want to take away from this, right? What are the servants supposed to do while the, the nobleman is absent? They've been entrusted with a task and they're supposed to be faithful. First thing we want to take away is that trust leads to faithfulness. Trust leads to faithfulness. Trust builds faithfulness. Now, what's important to know is that they're, they're each given a mina, and what a mina consists of a uh, hundred drachmas, and a drachma is a day's wage, okay? So to put this in our context, let me help you out. According to the Department of Numbers, which absolutely sounds like something in a Harry Potter book, but is in fact a, an Indiana government agency, um, I, which I found out about yesterday. I was like, in Department of Numbers, okay. The median household income in Indiana, according to the most recent census data, is $50,532. So that breaks down to $202.13 a day, or $20,212.80 for 100 days. So that's what they're each given. Now, that's a ton of money to me. But in the grand scheme of things, in, in large-scale investment, it's not. It's, it's a very small amount. It, it, even 100 days wages is something that could possibly be repaid. It's a small amount when we think about investing. Because remember, this is a guy who's come back as king investing his money. It's a very small amount, but he's these servants are entrusted with this to prove themselves. They're given this money to invest, to make a profit out of. And when they come back and they, are they tell kind of what they've done, the king now responds by saying, I'm going to reward you. And the one who got... Ten minas was rewarded with ten cities to oversee. 
or 10 times as much. I'm sorry, when I got 10 times as much, it's given 10 cities. What I love is that the, the amount of the reward is in no way proportional to the amount of the investment, the amount that was given initially. That the reward is lavish. The city budget for Columbus this year is $45.5 million. All right, that's Columbus. The city budget for Indianapolis this year is $1.1 billion. 10 cities as compared with $20,000 initial investment. I love that the, the reward that the king offers is lavish. The, the king is delighting to give this. I mean, this is a, a rich reward for this, these servants. These servants are thinking through how do they do this well, and they've proven themselves here. It's like Jesus said, with great power comes great responsibility. Wait, hang on. No, that's Spider-Man. I'm sorry. That's Spider-Man said that. <laughs> right. Spider-Man. Okay, sorry. No. Jesus said, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And Adam's going to talk more about that next week. But we see this picture that these servants were entrusted with something small so that they could prove themselves. The difference between God and your seventh grade Spanish teacher is God gives you a test because he wants you to pass. <laughs> it took a moment, but I appreciate that you're with me. <laughs> he wants us to pass us. He wants us to prove ourselves so he can continue to give us more. He wants to bless us. He wants to do those things. As followers of Jesus, we were created to faithfully participate in his mission to his people. That's what we get invited into. Called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. Faithfulness is hard. Right? Faithfulness has risk to it. It does. Investing that money was risky. There's no guarantee what's going what's to come out. But that risk was worth it because they were challenged. They were tasked with, with taking risk. When growing up, my parents had a number of different people live with us at various times. Uh, and I didn't really think a whole lot about it until I got older. But we, people at sort of different stages of life would come and stay with us and be part of our family. And our parents took risks, inviting them into our house, inviting them to, around their kids to, to be part of that. And it wasn't until I got older and had my own kids that I realized how much work that is. That's not an easy thing, inviting other people in. But they saw it as an opportunity to be faithful, to be faithful to God by looking to love others and, and provide for them and care for them and invite them into something at a time in their life when they needed that. It's hard to be faithful, but it's worth being faithful. Faithfulness is rewarded like we see here. Faithfulness is important. Folks, if you're not uncomfortable in your relationship with Jesus, if you're not being stretched, if you're not being challenged, if you're not being grown, if you're not being pushed, you're doing something wrong because your comfort does not matter. Neither does mine. We make it about that, but God wants us to be faithful and that comes with taking risks and pushing and challenging and stepping outside what we're familiar with. And that's what these servants did. That's what these servants, they could have lost all that they invested, but they took the risk in order to be faithful, in order to be faithful. The story continues says, but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. 
You wicked servant, the king roared, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you invest, deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10. But master, they said he already has 10. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Second thing here for us is that fear undermines faithfulness. Fear undermines faithfulness. What I find interesting is that the servant here recognized the authority, as, uh, the authority of the master. He recognized the nobleman as his master. And yet he betrayed his trust. He didn't fight him on, you have no right to ask anything of me. He acknowledged that the nobleman was in charge. He just said, I'm just not going to do what you ask. Just not going to do it. He ignored his instructions. He hid this money in a handkerchief. That's not even the least he could do. When you say, well, that's the least he could do. No, no, no. The least he could do was put it in the bank. Give it to a money lender. Allow it to accumulate interest. I, I saw this week that you could find a checking account that gets 4%. You don't have to do anything. You just like stick it there. But his fear took over so much and it was so intense that he just hid it. He knew all the stuff that was true about the master and he said, I'm, I'm still going to do nothing. I'm going to do nothing. And the servant had strong words for his master. The master had a reputation for harshness, harshness and exploiting situations for his benefit. And the servant called him out on that and the master didn't disagree. Now let me make a quick aside and say it's important at this point in the parable to remember that parables are not one-to-one -one analogies, all right? That though this parable is using the nobleman to describe Jesus, the nobleman who's sent away and comes back king, this is not a one-to-one -one thing. Jesus is not harsh. Jesus is not unjust. But Jesus is telling this story to paint a picture to communicate about the servant's response. So I just don't want you to leave and think, wow, Josh said Jesus is a jerk. <laughs> no, no. No, I didn't. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. No. The fear of his master led him to be unfaithful. His fear took over. His own words convicted him. I thought that was telling, that he acknowledged all these things that are true about the master, and the master's like, Ex yes, exactly. So even knowing that, why, why didn't you do something differently? Fear is a powerful motivator. It is. It's, it's a big thing for us. And we're all afraid of different things. One of the things that, that I fear when, I, when it comes to being faithful, when it comes to participating in what God's doing, is what if I don't know the answer? And that's hard because I want to know the answer. I can think of a time when someone came up to me after church to ask a question, and I knew I didn't know the whole answer. I was like, I think I'm kind of fuzzy on it. But I, and rather than just say that, I felt compelled. That wasn't here. Don't worry. If you ask me a question, you're good. But I felt compelled to like, I, I need to show my no. That's hard. But maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe it's fear of what people are going to say or people are going to think. If people know you're a Christian, what are they going to say about you? What are they going to think? It's fear of not being good enough. I, I can't be honest about that. I mean, my life is a mess. I mean, I can't say that stuff. Maybe it's fear of being rejected. Maybe it's fear of missing out. Man, if I, if I really lean into being in a Christian, like, oh, I'm, I'm, my life's not going to be what I want it to be. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? 
because the servants were willing to take the risks investing this money, the first two, but the third one wasn't. The first two took the risk knowing that the nobleman was difficult. The third one was paralyzed by that fear. Folks, we're in the same position. We are called to step out and be faithful. We're called to take that step. We're called to, to take risks. But here's the beauty of this picture. If the first two servants can do it knowing how harsh the master is, how much more can we do it knowing that our master loves and cares for us, welcomes us in, stands with open arms? We don't need to have those same fears. We don't need to. The servant was more than willing to accept the money, but he was less than willing to accept the task and the risk that came with it. And because of that, he missed the lavish reward that was given to the first two servants. Fear led him to do nothing and act like there was no consequences for it. We're sometimes guilty of that too, of assuming that God will take whatever we offer. Right? God doesn't need my best. God, well, I'm going to give God this much and he should be fine with it. Right? God, all God cares about is I just try and be a good person and that's enough. Right? That's, that's it. That's it. Or, I, you know, I do a couple things, and that's fine, and, and that's good. That we assume that God will just take what we give him. And it sets up this picture that we don't like, that unfaithfulness is punished. We really see a contrast. We see reward on one side and, and punishment on the other. All right? And if we're honest, we love the reward part. Reward sounds great. Did I hear reward? Sign me up for reward. But the punishment part, we're like, oh, it makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't know about the punishment. I don't know about that. But the, folks, the reality is that our response matters. Our actions matter. Our faithfulness or our lack of it matters. In order for God to be holy and perfect and right and righteous, then anything that is less than what he has called for, it, it ca cannot be treated the same. Punishment is the other half of God's grace. In order for God to be who he is, he cannot pretend that when we fall short, it doesn't matter. He can't. He can't. We love the idea of reward, but we don't like the idea of punishment. But here's what we miss. We fixate on the negative and we miss the positive. We don't have to stick with punishment. We don't have to get punishment. Let's, let's go to reward. It's like we've been given a, a choice between two meals. On one side, it's three-week-old chicken parmesan that's been sitting outside and your dog rolled in it which no amount of Parmesan can salvage. And then the other side, Wolfgang Puck is going to come to your house and make you whatever you want, whatever, anything you want with the freshest ingredients in the world. It's like this contrast is before you and all you can fixate on is how bad this side is. Yeah, it is bad, but you know what? You don't have to eat this. Why are we even looking at this? Why are we even talking about this? Let's come to this side. This side is good. It smells good. Like I'm full and I haven't even eaten it yet. Just the smell is that good. That's the picture we have before us between punishment and reward. We do not have to choose this. God does not want us to choose this. God sent Jesus to step into time so that we don't have to get stuck with this. But we need to ask ourselves is what is true of our life? What kind of life are we living? What does it look like? Because we want to hold God to our standard. When we read this and we see that, that the 10 are given, or the, the, third servant's money is given to the first one who had 10. And that seems, even the people in the story are like, well, that seems unfair. And it might from our perspective, it might from our point of view. But how about from the master's point of view? How about from the master's point of view? 
None of the servants deserved anything, and yet he still graciously gave them something. And the same is true for us, that none of us deserve anything, but God is gracious to us. God moves towards us. None of us deserve anything good because we've sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard, and yet God shows us grace. God shows us grace. So what do we do with that? Folks, when we live in faithfulness to God, when we live in the good news of the gospel, our lives work in ways they don't otherwise. They just do. Our lives get richer and fuller, deeper and more meaningful because we're experiencing what we were created to know. When we live in unfaithfulness, when we follow our own path and say we know best, when we live in fear or pride or self-righteousness, there's something missing and we cannot find it on our own. We cannot. We have the choice between reward and punishment. It's a powerful picture because what God has done is invite us to be on the winning team. God says, here's how the end plays out. I win and it's not close. I win by a lot. And I run up the score a little bit because, you know, evil deserved to lose badly. Be on my team. Be part of it. That's unbelievable. We're called to act in faithfulness because God invites us to join his team. We don't bring anything to the table, folks. I don't bring anything to the table. All that is good about me, all, the, all, of, all of who I am, God has given me. God doesn't need me. Think of it like doing a chore with one of your children, like you're cooking dinner, Right? They're not bringing anything to the table, but you invite them to be part of that because you want to include them. Think about it. Like when you're, you're stirring a sauce, it's like, okay, no, just spit in the sp spoon in the pot. Okay, just, no, no, in the pot. Not, not, no, that we'll clean that up later. That's fine. In the pot. Over here. No, over here. Don't touch that. That's hot. Don't touch that. Just stir. This is so much easier. But God invites us to be part of what he's doing. God says, my mission is to people. I want people to know me and to know that I love them. And you can participate in that. That's mind-blowing. He doesn't need us, and yet he invites us in. And so we can experience the richness and the fullness of the life we were created to know on this side. Or we can experience punishment for choosing ourselves. Faithfulness starts with knowing that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back as king. He's coming back in charge. And because of that, we can look forward to the future, forever, perfect kingdom. But we can also live in the nowness of the kingdom of God that, he, that God makes possible through Jesus. We can live in freedom now while looking forward to perfect, forever freedom. We can do that. Because Jesus has come and walked amongst us that we might know the heart of God. You ever seen Undercover Boss? It's a show where CEOs would, would get their appearance changed, would go and work sort of menial jobs in their organizations. And my wife loved it, and so I, I would watch it with her. And you'd see various things. Like I remember seeing one time there was a, there was a woman who um, was really struggling, but she was great at her job and really faithful, and I think was having to take like three buses to get to work. And so when the, the boss saw this, he, he, once he revealed who he was, he bought her a car. She was so faithful, he wanted to honor her, wanted to reward her. And then I've seen shows where there's an employee that is doing such a terrible job and like, it's like the super uncomfortable, he's like trashing the boss and the, to the boss. And you're like, oh, this is not gonna turn out well for you. And he gets fired. 
loses his job. That's the picture that's set up for us. That's the picture that's set up for us here. Folks, faithfulness is worth it. Faithfulness is worth it. That's what we're called to do, be faithful. We're not called to be amazing on our own. We're not called to have it all together. We're not called to check every box. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. And what does that look like? If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, for you, faithfulness starts with surrendering your life to the one who loves you more than you can know. It starts with surrendering your life to the one who has created you and has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And knowing the God of the universe the way that he wants you to know him. But if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, what's that look like? It's taking steps of faith every day. It's taking, being willing to take risks because small things matter to God. Small things matter. What are you afraid of that keeps you from that? What are you afraid of that keeps you from surrendering to God? What are you afraid of that keeps you from knowing God this way? What are you afraid of that keeps you from being faithfulness? What are you afraid of that is a barrier to you being faithful? I want to give you some, some steps to take this week, some things to think about. Here's how it made sense to me. When it comes to faithfulness, live it, do it, share it. Three things, live it, do it, share it. Live it means live it out in front of others. Pursue Jesus. Invest in your relationship with God. Be honest about who you say you are with those around you. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it is nothing more than just being honest about who you say you are in your lives. Not just here, not just with the three people that you know agree with you, but being honest about who you say you are. That's it. Are you living as if Jesus was here with you right now? Years ago, what would Jesus do was a big, big thing. And that never really resonated with me because it's like, I can't be like him. That's why I'm like this. And so what hits me is, what if I lived as if Jesus was right here with me, was in the room, was at work, was standing there when I was talking with my kids and I'm exhausted because it's three in the morning and they woke me up again. What would it look like if I lived as if Jesus was right here, as if the boss wasn't away but was standing right here? My life would look really different. It would. How are you pursuing Jesus as you think about living this out? I want to challenge you. Invite your, your neighbors over for, for a meal. Take your coworker out for lunch. Get to know people in your life in real and purposeful, intentional ways. Be faithful to reach out to them and show that they matter. I think of a young woman several years ago that my wife and I were close with who was part of our ministry. She came to know Jesus her senior year and fantastic and, and one of the most kind individuals I've ever met, but was, could be kind of shy and wondered, man, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I know all the right stuff, but made it her mission, like, I'm just going to be faithful. And so she engaged with people. She talked with people. She invited people. She reached out to people. She lived in such a way as others saw a difference. And at the end of the year, when we did our senior celebration and we had 25 seniors sitting up front to honor them, 15 of them said they were there because of her. That's being faithful. She didn't have all the answers. She wasn't even sure she was doing the right thing. She just said, I'm going to live faithfully. And she had a huge impact. Second thing, do for others. Do it. Do for others. Serve and care. Engage. Love others the way Jesus loved them and love others the way that Jesus loves you. 
How are you serving people in your life right now? And not just the people you're expected to serve. How are you serving people in your life? Who in your life has a need that you could help meet today? How can you actively look to see those instead of saying, assuming someone else will get it? How can you look to step into someone's life the way that you would need someone to step into yours? Where in our community can you serve other people? Ask yourselves those questions. Lastly, share it. Share with others what has changed and shaped your life. Talk about it. Ask other people to share their stories with you and and share your own with them. People shouldn't know your favorite ice cream flavor and not know about Jesus. Share it. Folks, I can tell you from experience, because I've been doing this for a while and I have had hundreds of conversations, people are far more willing to hear what you care about than you think they do. We often exclude people because we assume they're not interested. It's not true. Think about the baptisms this morning. A friend named Rob, a grandfather, parents, a dad, were faithful about investing in their lives and those people were up here celebrating what Jesus had done. What about if the next time we did a baptism Sunday, someone was up here and they said you? Because you were faithful. Because you pursued them and invested in them and shared with them and lived life with them. Are you able to explain what you believe and why you believe it? And you should be. And listen, if your answer is no, that's okay. We would love to help you get there. That takes time. You're not crazy for that, but let us help so you can understand those things. When's the last time you shared your story with someone? When's the last time you asked someone to share their story with you? What would it look like for you to be honest about who you say you are with those around you? Because folks, this is a journey. It's a journey. Being faithful does not mean I invited someone to church once. Being faithful does not mean I shouted a couple Bible verses at them. And it definitely doesn't mean just posting something on Facebook. Because nothing ever means just posting something on Facebook. Not that that's bad. But it means walking with someone, being part of their journey. This is not a one and done thing. I was t- remember uh, talking with a friend of mine one time and he was sharing about he'd been praying for someone for 20 years, for 20 plus years, faithfully. That's hard because you get discouraged. When it doesn't, you're like, man, what's going on? But faithfully prayed for 20 years and when that person finally gave their life to Jesus, it was amazing. It was amazing. We want stuff to be instant, but it's not because we're human. And so be faithful and pursue and say, God, it's not about me getting this done, but it's about you getting this done. Dive into these things. Lean into it because, folks, there will be obstacles. There will. It will be hard. There will be risk. But it will be so worth it. Think of how different Columbus would be if just those of us in this room lived as if the boss was watching. Not out of guilt or shame or obligation, but out of a desire to be faithful. What would it look like? Because he is watching. 